Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 to 21. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power, together with all of the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide, how long, how high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able, able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Julie. We have been talking about the Holy Spirit, which is what we will be doing again today. Um, yes, good, some good vocals over here to my left. I like it. Feel free to be vocal anywhere in the room. Um, and today we're going to be talking about belonging. And I'd um, just like you to think about the word belonging. And think about what types of things help you to feel a sense of belonging or to know that you belong. I was thinking, oh, when I know that I belong, I feel secure. I feel like relaxed. I feel like I know that I'm meant to be here. Just think about some of the things in your own mind. Like what, what gives you that like, oh yeah, I'm right, I'm right. And now we need to think about what keeps you from that feeling of belonging. Fear, prejudice, Depression, insecurity, like bad experiences. Some of you might like walk in here and not actually know if you feel like you belong. It's okay. It's okay to feel like that. I'll just identify what the reason is. Just name it in your own head. There's lots of things that keep us from that feeling of belonging. And um, the divine plan of God is that we would find rest and security in the love of God. And Jesus lived that message. Jesus lived that message and communicated the desire that we as humans would feel secure and resting in the love of God. And then the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, has a job to do. The Spirit's job is to remind us that we belong. To invite us back to belonging or to find belonging for the very first time. That's the job of the Spirit. The Spirit reminds us. And the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. We read that in Acts chapter 2. 
when the day of Pentecost came. Now, I think a lot of people who um, are not from, or who are Christian, were like, oh yeah, Pentecost is the time of the Spirit. But Pentecost, or Shavuot, is a Jewish festival. And there are two Hebrew texts that are read during that festival or Pentecost. One of them is Exodus chapter 19, which is the moment that God gave the Ten Commandments to Israel. They kind of termed that the law. And from those Ten Commandments came um, more laws. And to summarize the law, both Jesus said, you know, you love your neighbor and you love God. Like, that's a summary of the law. And then Paul, in Romans chapter 13, also summarized the law. He named a few of the Ten Commandments. And then he said that the law... Oh, let me read it properly off my paper so I don't misquote Paul, because I'll be a bummer. Um, he summarizes what he says, that the love is the fulfillment of the law. So within the context of the Ten Commandments, during Pentecost, they're likely talking about the law and then how love fulfills the law. And I can imagine like you get a group of scholars around discussing and having a conversation about it at this festival, and you're like, oh, this is like scholarly talk about love, you know? It's hard when love is an abstraction. Which is why the other Hebrew text at Pentecost, which is so wonderful that they have this other text, the other text that they read at the at Pentecost is the story of Ruth, which is a Hebrew text. And I think it's so wonderful that they pair Ruth with Exodus because... The best way to understand love is how to be loved or to love. Like that's the best way to understand love. It, it is okay to talk about it as this abstract idea, but the best way to understand it is to be loved, to be loved by a human or an animal even, right? It's that dog just like runs over to you, feeling it. Or a child that is just like absolutely delighted to see you. The best way to understand love is to be loved or to love. And so you have this story of Ruth, a woman who loved. It starts out in the day when the judges ruled, a.k.a. total chaos. And that there was a famine in Israel Times were hard, unpredictable, uncertain, and there was lots of chaos. Everyone was fending for themselves. We can relate. There's a lot of things in our world and in our lives that are uncertain and unpredictable. There are places in the world where there is famine. It's in this context that a man from Bethlehem and his wife, Naomi, and two sons went to Moab. If you hear the word Moab, having read Hebrew scripture, you'll be like, that's a bad idea, yo. Bad idea. The Israelites have a bad reputation among Moabites, and also the Moabites have a bad reputation among Israelites. So it's not like they're going to a friend's house. So that shows you how hard up they are. Times must be hard for this family to decide they're going to go to a place of hostility. As soon as we read the word Moab, we'll, it should be like, duh, duh. 
this is going to not be a good moment. They had a history. The Israelites camped in Moab and they asked that community of people for some bread and water. They were desperate. And that community of people refused to shelter them and take care of it. And so the sentiment was you don't ask those people for help. When you are turned away in a moment of desperation, that sticks with you. That sticks with you as a society and it also sticks with you as a human. If in your desperation you reach for someone and you get rejected, oof. So they made a law about it. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 4. Moabites or any of their descendants may not enter the assembly of the Lord even to the 10th generation. Basically, these people are not welcome. I'm going to make a law about it. Because they didn't meet our need. You're the kind of people that don't belong. So, general hostility? Yep. Pretty general hostility here. And then there's increased hostility for women because the Moabite women are generally sexualized, which is not uncommon for women to be sexualized, but Moabite women are specifically sexualized. They're also perceived as deceptive and unreliable. So they moved to Moab. <laughs> Off they go. They live there for 10 years, about 10 years, and Naomi's husband and her two sons die. But before her two sons die, they married Moabite women, Ruth and Orpha. But Naomi hears that the famine in the land in Israel is stopped, and so she decides to go back to Jude in Bethlehem where she's come from. And the story that she is telling herself, which we know because it says it in the text, and she tells it to the people when she gets back to her homeland, she says that God has embittered her soul, that she has nothing, and that God is against her and has done harm to her. She is not feeling good about her life. And she's on her way back with her daughters and she pauses and she's like, you should not be coming with me. I have literally nothing to give to you. And then she uses this word that's used all the way through the book of Ruth, chesed, which is loving kindness. It's an interpretation of the word love that is used all the way through Ruth, love, chesed, actionable love. She's like, if you go back to your own people, maybe Yahweh, God's love, will meet you there. She's basically saying there's no way that you're going to be able to receive the love of God from me. I have nothing to give you. And she probably anticipates that they will not be well received in her homeland. And so Orpha has no obligation to stay because her husband is dead. So she goes back to the place that she's her family are. It's better for her. Ruth refuses to go. And she stays with her mother-in-law. And I think it's important to understand the context, just to, again, it ramps up the intensity. 
This is an Irish scholar by the name of Glenn Jordan, and he says this about Ruth. Now, Ruth, in her turn, crosses a border and becomes a stranger in the land with a long history of antagonism toward the land of her birth. Not only is she an ethnic stranger, she is also a woman in a man's world, a foreigner in a country that does not like her sort. Childless in a society that required sons, a widow in a family-based culture, and poor in a community that lacked a comprehensive safety net. This is what this woman is saying yes to. And some of you know that feeling of human vulnerability. The world is not stacked in your favor. But Ruth, on her own initiative, they go back to the land and she takes care of them, she and Naomi, on her own initiative. She works hard. She puts her own life at risk. Naomi explicitly says, men may harm you if you go to those fields alone. But she goes and she works long hours and she's faithful and she stays present to her mother-in-law. said, actionable, faithful, loyal love. The kind of love that Naomi didn't think would be possible. And one of my favorite parts, she also asks a man to marry her in a patriarchal culture. It is hard enough to have some receive a proposal from a woman in our culture. She asks a man to marry her. Get it root. Her love is loyal and it is brave and it is bold. Wow. Chesed, love, faithfulness, loyalty, steadfastness. Love is never naive about how the world is. She wasn't naive. It is a choice to love in the face of division. Love is courage lived out. Maya Angelou said, have enough courage to trust love one more time and always one more time. Ruth is like Maya Angelou. There's another character in the story, Boaz. He's part of the kin that could take them in. He is also uncharacteristic. He's hospitable. He invites her to his table. He creates a safe space for her to work in. He told the men not to lay a hand on her, which tells you that they had the space and the permission to lay a hand on her if they wanted to. He told them not to. And then he goes to advocate for her in the public square where laws are made. There's an unnamed man that could have taken the property of Naomi's husband but when he finds out that there's a Moabite woman involved, he says, I'm not willing to endanger myself. That's the literal words from the text. I'm not going to endanger myself. And you can be like, well, what? what's that about? No, he's probably a law-abiding citizen. 
The law forbids Moabites from belonging. But Boaz does something different. And in doing something different, in leveraging the power that he has and the wealth and the privilege that he has, the elders and the people at the gate state most affirmatively that she belongs. They're like out of control, crazy. They're like, bless her, like the matriarchs of Israel. And you're like, whoa, that's some serious affirmation of belonging. Not just great, cool, see you later, yo. No, may this woman bring blessing, like Leon. And you're like, whoa, okay. What this story reveals is the power of this woman and the power of this man to love. Chesed. Actionable love. It's a love that's disruptive to law and to policy. It's a law that's disruptive to histories of hate. It's a law that's disruptive to communities and ethnicity, to family and gender and stereotype, and also to generations. Ruth is the great-grandmother of David, the most famous king in the Bible. And, great, 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 times 30, grandmother of Jesus. It's disruptive. The, the definitions of belonging and the lines around who's in and who's out. Pentecost. That's the story. That's the story that these people are talking about at their festival. Pentecost. They're talking about Ruth. They're talking about Boaz. Talking about Naomi. Talking maybe about the unnamed man. Kind of cool that he was left unnamed, right? Talking about David. Talking about genealogies. Talking about changes. Talking about love. Talking about harvest. Talking about Exodus 19. It's into this moment, into this festival, into these discussions and this story of love that the Holy Spirit arrives. Pentecost. And a couple weeks ago, Johnny was talking about how this is a startling moment. The disciples are understanding that the Spirit's going to come and they have heard the Spirit being talked about in relation to like restoration of Israel. And they're like, when is, the, is this going to be the moment when Israel is restored? And it's this patriotic language, which isn't necessarily bad. It just wasn't whole. And then the spirit arrives, and like Johnny said, everyone outside the room doesn't start speaking Hebrew. Instead, everyone inside the room speaks the language of diverse and different peoples. It's this startling moment to the biases and limitations and even hopes the disciples had. But it wasn't new. Their hope was that the story of Ruth might have awakened their imagination. That people who are separate are brought back together. People are brought home to one another, to a sense of belonging. And that's a story that they'd been rehearsing at Pentecost. 
but it's not a story that they'd been hearing. And they couldn't find it in their ears, so the Spirit put it on their tongues. And I think that's lovely. So it makes sense to me that the first act of the Spirit is this act, this festival. The Spirit widens that sense and notion of belonging. Of who is secure. Of who is meant to be here. It's the Spirit telling that story to people. Paul wrote, what Julie read for us this morning. Paul had lived his own story of prejudice. When Simon was murdered, Paul approved of their killing and then he went on a tirade. Paul, um, his religious fundamentalism and his racism and his self-righteousness kept him from the very story that he taught other people. And I think it's easy to read these stories in the Bible and kind of disconnect from them. It's like, oh yeah, those things happened a long time ago and I don't know how relevant those people are or like why they even matter. And but our lived lives are not that far away from theirs. We can identify with someone like Naomi where we believe that we're better off alone. That we have nothing to give. That what you've done in your life turns sour. And that God doesn't love you. Naomi was bold in what she said. That God was against her. And sometimes the circumstances in our lives lead leave us believing that God is against us. That we're alone. And that people are actually better off without us. Ruth. Not naive about how the world is. But in spite of everything, all the things that are stacked up against. You do the hard work of showing up and the courage to love. Some of you do that every day. I know you do. You have the courage to love in places that are hard to love. I know you do. I watch you do it. It's worth seeing. And then you have Boaz and the unnamed man. Some of us have wealth and privilege and influence and majority culture and those things can insulate us. But they don't have to. It's 
Sometimes it does, but it doesn't always. And there's opportunity, an invitation to not let it. And then Paul, who wielded power against others at great cost. In his letters, he acknowledges that he was wrong. And he names that he doesn't feel worthy of carrying the message of love. You can imagine why. He doesn't feel worthy of carrying the message of reconciliation and love. I don't know that Simon's mother's mother or siblings want to hear that message from Paul. Do you think they do? There are some people that we do not want to hear the message of love and reconciliation from because of the way that they've wielded power even if they're willing to admit that they were wrong. And there are some of us that feel or believe that we're not worthy of carrying the message of love because of what we have done. All of these people had reasons to believe that they were not worthy of belonging or worthy of being embraced by belonging. So I ask you again, what keeps you from belonging? What keeps you from allowing others to belong? What we say to ourselves is really important. And what we say about ourselves is important. What we say to and about other people is also important. Because our histories and our families and our communities and our behaviors and our insecurities, they're all powerful. They're powerful collective. Our collective histories, collective families, collective behaviors are powerful. Our individual histories and behaviors and insecurities, they're powerful. They have the power to lead us to believe that we should be kept from belonging or that we should keep other people from belonging which means that we need a greater power than those stories, than those histories, than those behaviors. And after Paul, um, in Ephesians, he talks about how Jesus comes to remove the walls of hostility and he invites us to belong into this beloved community that he calls the church. He says there's no Greek or Jew, no insider or outsider. There's no slave or free, which is appropriate on Juneteenth. There's no man or woman or human uninvited. And all of the walls of hostility have been removed. 
And then he says, I think because he knows, because he has lived in the world of hostility and has himself been a hostile person, he prays this. This is from the CEB. I'm going to read it, the first two verses, because I liked that translation better. This is why Paul says he kneels before the Father where every ethnic group in heaven or earth is recognized by him. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. It's an inner strength. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how high and wide and long and deep, he just can't get away with just so many words, right? How high and wide and long and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. It's the love that will break hostility. It's the love embodied in Ruth and by Boaz that breaks the kinds of hostility that keeps us from belonging to each other. Last night I was having dinner with a friend of mine and he um, has been watching this television program. I haven't been watching it, but he's been watching it. And when he was telling me, he was just telling me about how he was enjoying this TV show and we were just chit-chatting over my noodles and his um, rice. And we were talking about it and he said, um, he, I was like, as he was talking, I was like, you're kind of summarizing my entire sermon right now. I'm going to talk about it tomorrow. Is that okay? So he's like, sure. So he's talking about this TV show, and he was talking about how these people, I'm going to slaughter it because I haven't watched it, but hopefully it'll make sense, that these people in the TV show were being groomed towards hate. And that they were being groomed towards fear. The main characters. And the power that overcomes that grooming of hate and fear is when they can recall that they're loved. Memories of being loved or that they can recall what it is to be loved. Some of you are smiling, so maybe you know what the show is. Love it. Feels like I did a good job. And it's like, yeah, there is this power that has the capacity to consume us with hate there is this power that has the capacity to consume us with fear. And then there is a greater power. I thought it's like, well, this is telling you the entire story right here in this TV show. It's kind of summarizing what Paul says. And the power that as Christians we hold on to is it's the power of the spirit that can attest to our spirits our sense of belonging, that can root us and ground us in our home, that secures us. And then Paul says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power, that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. We will be limited. 
by our histories and by our families and by our stories. And I think that's why Paul kneels down and prays that the very power of God through his spirit will root and ground us in the power that can remove hostility, that can bring us home and can bring others home. The spirit of belonging will always do more than the hate that is in us. The spirit of belonging will always do more than the anger that consumes us. The spirit of belonging will always say more than the insecurities have to say to us. The spirit of belonging always calls you home. I'm going to end with something that Maya Angelou said. And then I'm going to pray the prayer of Paul over you. Missio, have enough courage to trust love one more time and always one more time. Trust the love of God. As the Spirit attests to you that you're beloved, that you belong in the beloved community. Trust your ability to reach towards, to attend to yourself. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being. And I pray that you, I wish I could say all your names. I don't, I mean, I'd be calling on you too much, but in some ways I kind of want, maybe I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And I pray, and I just want you to say your name. When I, I'm going to say, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his, his spirit in your being. And I pray that you... Not loud enough. I pray that you. Yes. I pray that you. Being rooted and established in love. I pray that you would be rooted and established in love. Pray that you would have power. Together with all the Lord's holy people. To grasp how high and wide and long and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now to him. Who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever imagine or think. Can bring a Moabite into the family lineage of Jesus. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than he could imagine or think. Think of somebody that you cannot imagine experiencing or knowing love. Think of a hostility that is part of our culture that you think is impossible to reconcile. Now 
Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could even imagine or think. We're not, and you probably didn't even think of it. To him be glory. In the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And we'll say together, Amen. Jesus, thank you for Spirit. Spirit who attests to us that your love is real, that we're wanted, that we belong. I pray that um, this prayer would, would, would be realized in us the same way that it was realized in Ruth and realized in Boaz and realized for Naomi. That the love that you say is true of you would be embodied in us. Not just that we would embody it to other people, but that we would receive it from other people. That's what it means to be rooted in love. And that because of that, the things that we don't believe are possible become possible. And it feels bold and brave and hard to ask and say these things. And yet, I just think about how this kind of love isn't naive and it isn't weak. It takes courage. And so I pray that, Spirit, you would make us a courageous people. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.